Amen. Well, we have been in a series called The Acts, and we're studying this book of Acts. It's just, this series is a simple book study. We're studying the book of Acts because it's such an important book of the Bible for who we are as the church. The, the book of Acts is the sequel to the Gospels. The Gospels tell this incredible story about Jesus and who he is and what he said and what he did, the ministry work that he did, the people that he invested in and poured into, the way that he cared for people, saw people. This life-changing message of the Gospel, it, it leads us to the crucifixion of Jesus as he dies on a cross for our sins and then the resurrection of Jesus as he gives us the opportunity as well to have new life in him and then it tells us that he gives us this commission this job assignment where he says go and make disciples in the world go to Jerusalem Judea Samaria the ends of the earth and baptize them in Jesus name he tells us to go and just do the work of starting the church and then it says that he ascends into heaven. And then that's kind of it. The gospels end right there. And I'm always, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that when I hear a story that has a great ending like that, I got questions. What happens next? What do these people do? I mean, did this, this dude just launched up into heaven like a spaceship. Now what? You know, and Acts picks us up right there and gives us those answers. Acts shows us the disciples staring up wide mouth into heaven like this. And an angel says, why are you staring into heaven just as he ascended into heaven? So will he return one day. And they remind them that they've got work to do. So the disciples go and wait for the Holy Spirit for 10 days. And the Holy Spirit comes in power and fills these men who had been with Jesus. And they begin to proclaim his gospel all over Jerusalem. And this city becomes filled with people who now follow the way of Jesus Christ. And who are filled with the Holy Spirit and his power. And we see all kinds of amazing things take place in these early chapters of Acts. As the church comes into formation. It's beautiful because it gives us a couple pictures of just the church being the church. It's not just about preaching and worship. It shows us moments of real, authentic community where people are sharing with one another, sharing their lives with one another, taking care of and providing for needs within their community. They're identifying who needs help and they're stepping into those moments. We see the church becoming a, a beacon of hope and life for the city of Jerusalem. And then we see it begin to branch out into new places. Uh, so much exciting work happens in the book of Acts. And for you and I, as the church today, here we are, uh, 2,000 years later, inheriting the very same church, the very same work that the disciples were carrying out here in the book of Acts. It's our responsibility to study a book like Acts and learn who we are supposed to be as the church and what it looks like when we're living the way we were called to live. Our goal in studying this book is just to be better at being the church. And so, uh, as we get into it today, we picked up and uh, we left off in chapter 8 last week. Here, here's where we stand. The church is growing. The Holy Spirit is moving through his people. There's authentic community. There's people serving one another. There's people showing love to, no, to one another. There's 
preaching with Jesus at the center. There's miracles. There's small group gatherings. There's large group gatherings. There's new leaders stepping into their gifts. And the work of the church is being spread between the people of the church. A huge thing happens in Acts chapter 6. The disciples had been doing all the work of the church. And they said, we can't continue this way. Because the church and what we were called to be is not about the work of one person. It is about the work of the body of Christ. All of us working together. And so some leaders with new gifting and specific gifting to the needs that were arising are selected and brought into leadership in Acts chapter 6. And then in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, one of those new leaders, becomes the first martyr of the church as he is killed in Jesus' name. And in chapter 8, the story tells us that Saul approved of the death of Stephen and stood as a witness to it. Chapter 8 also tells us that despite that, the church was growing and spreading even beyond the borders now of Jerusalem and Judea, even into the kingdom of Ethiopia. And that's where we stopped, at this place where there is both growth and opposition. Today, we're looking at chapters 9 and 10. And chapters 9 and 10 each tell two very different stories. But the stories that they are telling are the same story. And so let's look at it. Chapter 9 opens with this great Charles Dickens-worthy opening line. Here it comes. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Marley was dead to begin with, right? You see the... <laughs> It's a great opening line. Well done, Luke. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there, there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. They weren't using the term Christian yet at this point in history. Uh, followers of Jesus were just called followers of the way, those who belonged to the way. As he neared Damascus on his journey, Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? asked Saul. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. What I just read to you is an enormous, major turning point for the early church. The Roman Empire at this time, uh, of which I think of almost every day, has made travel all over the world easier than ever. The roads that the Romans have built spread across the entire known world at this point in history. And because of that, information travels faster than ever. Literature travels faster than ever. The world is, for the very first time, totally connected. It is like the invention of the internet. These roads that are spanning between nations and cities and principalities and all these places are now interconnected because of the Romans. In the secular world, at this time in history, the spread of education and the study of history is at its highest point, the highest point it has ever been. The fact that this is the point of history that Jesus would intersect the world is no mistake and no coincidence. The stage has been set and one of the principal players has just entered the scene, Saul 
who would rename himself Paul, was a brilliant scholar and leader. He rose to prominence in the Jewish world early on. Saul had power and prestige, came from a good family. He was a talented writer. He put all of that energy into hunting down the church and extinguishing the way as much as he could until, until Jesus intersected his life. As we will see in the coming weeks, Paul would put all that energy and all that brilliance and all that leadership ability into building the New Testament church. Paul would write two-thirds of the New Testament and see that it would be circulated all over the world using the infrastructure that Rome provided. He would carry the gospel far and wide and become a crucial figure in the church as it is today. Now that's a spoiler alert, stepping back. Right now, Saul is confused and he is blind and he has just encountered the resurrected Jesus. He's given instructions to go and find a man named Ananias, different than the one we read about last week. This one is living in Damascus and Ananias is an older man and a leader in the church. And he's humble and he's kind and he receives a vision from God telling him to help Saul when he gets to town. Ananias is confused by this vision. He says, God, I'm so glad that you're here. Thanks for visiting. The man that you're talking about is coming here to kill me. I do not want to help him. But God has big plans for Saul. And Ananias is a crucial part of those plans. And so he does it. Saul shows up and he prays for him. Verse 17 says, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it where Saul was staying. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And he got up and was water baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. And Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as principals to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. So this leader begins to rise up that nobody saw coming from persecuting the gospel to proselytizing on behalf of it. Verse 26, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. They were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas, we read about last week as we were talking about the church really becoming the church and caring for one another and that there were people who were selling off land and using the money to meet the needs of other people in the church. The person who is specifically named for doing that is Barnabas. And Barnabas isn't his real name. Barnabas was his his nickname, his title. It means encourager because he was such an encourager to be around. And Saul, who has devoted his life 
to being a Pharisee and to hunting down followers of the way is now trying to preach the gospel and excited and, and zealous and, and just wants to be a part of what God is doing, goes to Jerusalem to be around those who knew and walked and lived alongside Jesus. And they're like, no way, man. We don't want anything to do with you. We know who you are. But he has an advocate, Barnabas. Barnabas says, God has changed this man. He is no longer who he once was. He is now a new creation. He has been preaching the gospel of Jesus even in Damascus where he was sent to take Christians to jail. May you be an advocate for those who are entering into the kingdom of God. The story shifts its focus back to the apostle Peter. Verse 36, it says in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas and If you are pregnant with a daughter and looking for a name, I present to you Dorcas. If your name is Tabitha and you have friends, may they never find out that in Greek, your name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying, and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room, and then he got down on his knees, and he prayed, turning towards the dead woman. He said, just as he had seen Jesus do, Tabitha, get up. And she opened her eyes. And seeing Peter, she sat up. God is moving and working and building the church. Simultaneously, God is raising up leaders that will build and spread the church. And he is using those who are currently serving the church to do the wonders and miracles that show people the power of Jesus is just as active and alive now as it was when he walked the earth. Chapter 10 stays with Peter in another passage of Acts that has an enduring impact on you and I today. Let's look at that story. It opens on an officer in the Roman military named Cornelius. He receives a vision from God telling him to invite Peter to his house. Pick it up in verse 9. About noon the following day, as they, they being servants from the house of Cornelius, on their way to Peter to invite him to come for a visit. As they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. We're seeing a major barrier that exists now between the Jewish Christians and those who would follow Jesus who were not born Jewish. As we talked about in the Binge the Bible series this spring, when we studied the book of Leviticus, there are a lot of different kind of laws that were given to the Jewish people to set them apart as the holy people of God and to allow them to come near to the presence of God. 
Many of those laws are what's called ceremonial laws. And those ceremonial laws determine whether or not they could be considered clean or unclean in order to come to the temple to worship. And before Jesus came, this is the only place the presence of God physically dwelt. In order to get near to the presence of God, you had to be declared clean. They were very, very careful to avoid the things that could make them unclean so that they could not be near the presence of God. These ceremonial laws, such as what kinds of food they could eat, uh, lots of different rules and regulations that were around cleanliness and worship at the temple were a major barrier between them and the Gentiles because between the writing of Leviticus and this day and age, many laws were written around those ceremonial laws to help them not break the ceremonial laws, meaning they put guardrails in place between the people of God and the laws of God so they wouldn't even get close. So at this point, they're not even entering into the home of a person who is a Gentile, not a Jewish-born person, a Roman, a Greek, anybody who was born not Jewish. And that was very difficult to share the gospel with somebody that you can't even go in the house of. So here we are. Peter receives this vision. And this, this uh, blanket comes down with four-footed animals on it, reptiles and birds. Got some gators on there for the Floridians that would eventually come to know Jesus. And he says, get up and eat. And Peter says, surely not, Lord. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of this vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs and do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? And the men replied, we've come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. And then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. This is huge. Up to this point, there have been very few non-Jewish people who have accepted the gospel of Jesus. And those who did, they did so under special circumstances or they had fully converted to Judaism, including circumcision as adults before converting to Christianity. Before this moment, the Jewish ceremonial laws provided a massive barrier between these peoples. We talked about the different kinds of Levitical laws that were ceremonial laws and, and how they were all about setting God's people apart from the people around them. They clarified how people could be made ceremonial clean, ceremonially cleaned so, cleansed so they could approach the temple. It was this intricate and exhaustive system that cleansed people for worship. There are multiple reasons for it, good reasons for it, but at the end of the day, they boil down to this immense distance between the people and God. Our sin and the way we're broken by it makes the gap between us and God vast. 
So all these ceremonial laws were ways that we could bridge that gap in, alongside a system of sacrifices in order to worship in the presence of God. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross permanently closed the distance between us and God. All of these laws that were written in order to help us get as close as we could, they're no longer important for us to come near to. In those days, there was a six foot thick curtain that separated the presence of God from the people of God. The closest you could ever get to God was a six foot distance away. A high priest once a year would put on an outfit with bells on it and go into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God to make sacrifices on behalf of the people. And he wore bells in case he died while he was in there for going in without himself being fully cleansed. The distance between us was immeasurable. But the second that Jesus gave his spirit up on the cross and died so that my sins and your sins could be forgiven, the Gospels tell us that that curtain was ripped in half from top to bottom. The distance is gone. It's closed. Not only is the distance closed, but in Acts chapter 2, we learn that the very spirit of God that dwelled in that holy of holies is not just somewhere I can get close to now, but it dwells inside of me. Jesus said that I did not come to abolish the laws. I came to fulfill them. And that's what he did. And so these barriers that were in place between the Gentile people and the Jewish people in the early days of the church were no longer necessary. And that is what God was communicating to Peter through this moment. God intervened. He gave Peter this vision and said that what God has made clean cannot be called unclean. He lifted the barrier. And so the next morning, Peter goes to the house of Cornelius, the Roman centurion, and shares this message with him and many of his Roman friends. It says, Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message that God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know that what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who came with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. You've got to notice throughout the book of Acts, the emphasis on baptism. That when someone enters into a relationship with Jesus, there is an urgency that they might be baptized in Jesus' name. 
That's why we put an emphasis here, here at the church on that. It's why we believe it's such an important next step for you. It's what Jesus did, and it's what the church continuously did as it was forming in these early days in Acts. We enter into the holy. We enter, we enter into the presence of God uh, through a relationship with Jesus. We receive the Holy Spirit, and we are water baptized to represent that we've been buried with Him in death and raised to new life in His resurrection. So that's where we'll finish today. That's the book of Acts for today, chapters 9 and 10. So what are we learning about the church and our place in it from these two chapters? Number one, it's not too late for you. It is not too late for you. Maybe when you hear those words, your chest tightens up. You get a physical reaction because you've heard them before and you just can't believe it. How could somebody like you be welcome into the kingdom of heaven? How could your past be overlooked? How could your present be overlooked? You can't forgive yourself, so how could God possibly forgive you? But maybe, like Ananias at first, or the believers at first, or the disciples at first, maybe for you at first. When these disciples heard that Paul had been saved, they weren't really so sure whether or not they could accept him. Maybe you know someone who's beginning a journey of faith, but you've had a hard time accepting them. The story of Saul is one that shows us that it is never too late for anyone. From meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples too. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and said, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? Hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. This man wasn't too far gone to be used mightily by the God who saves, and neither are you. The same man wrote some words on this matter later in his life. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. In Ephesians chapter 2, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, dead in our sin, he made us alive together with Christ. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. In Romans 8, he writes, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angel nor demon, neither the present,
present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. From breathing out murderous threats to encouraging the church for all generations with those words. If God can do it in Paul, it is not too late for you. We know a lot about Saul, who would become Paul. We know where he traveled. We read the words that he wrote. We know his friends. We know who mentored him. We know who he mentored. We even think we know when and how and where he died. What we don't know a lot about is what his life was like beyond Acts chapter 9. We know his testimony. We know that he was fighting against the gospel violently. But that's about it. This much of his past makes up his history. In fact, I would argue that his story, the parts that really matter, begin that day on the road to Damascus. Your story can begin today. Second thing that we learn here is that the church is for all people. God is in the business of removing all the barriers between us and him. Maybe you think God is distant and far away. Maybe that's how you've always felt. And maybe at times even the church has made you feel that way. This passage tells us the truth about the distance between us and God. Where there are barriers, he makes a way. It was not possible for any of us to enter into a relationship with God, which is why he sent Jesus. The barrier of our sin was a permanent barrier between us and the kingdom of God. As Paul wrote to the Romans in the Roman church, you see at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. God made a way for us to enter into relationship. And when there was a barrier between his gospel and the rest of the world hearing it, he removed that barrier as well. The lifting of these ceremonial laws and barriers from the Old Testament laws of cleanliness made it possible for the church to grow to over a million people in the first century of its existence. It made it possible for the Great Commission to be fulfilled. It made it possible for me to be standing here today. And it's a statement to all of us as we work to build the church and carry on the work of Acts to remove the barriers that stand between us and the people God wants us to reach. That is why we do church the way that we do it. It's why we put so much thought 
into what it feels like to enter into church when you are nervous and scared and you don't know what you need to know about the kingdom of God. That's why we want somebody smiling at you in the parking lot because it's crucial to me that you know that you are wanted here the second you drive onto this property. It's why we don't let you get your own coffee. If you're a your control person like me, you're like, I just want to get my own coffee. No, we want somebody to look you in the eyes and smile at you and hand you a cup of coffee so that you have been seen on a Sunday morning. It is why we do things the way we do them. We know it's awkward and it's hard to come into a, a place of faith when you are struggling with faith. And we want to remove every barrier that could stand between you and encountering the presence of God. This space exists because we want you to encounter the presence of God. And just as God removes barriers that stand between him and his people, so do we. As a church, we want to do everything we can to make this a place you would want to bring your friends. That is why we want you to know that you can belong before you believe. That is why it is so important to us that every single person, every type of person has the opportunity to feel at home here because if God is in the business of removing barriers, so are we. The third thing is this, the church is built on second chances. The early church was founded on second chances. Consider Peter. He denies that he knows Jesus at the temple gates and two other times. 50 days later, he's preaching in Jerusalem to the same people in the same city, in the same place, and saying that Jesus is resurrected from the grave and alive and they should repent. And thousands of them do. In this story, Peter, who is terrified to be found by Romans on the night Jesus was crucified, goes into the home of a Roman centurion so that he can preach the gospel to him. Cornelius, he's not just a Gentile, he's a Roman centurion. The invaders of Jerusalem, the occupying force, the very same people who put Jesus on the cross. And here he is, becoming a leader in the church. Then there's Saul. It's one thing for a murderer of Christians to become a Christian as he serves out in exile for his sins. That's not Saul's story. God redeems him and calls him to be used by God to change the world despite the sins of his past. And don't forget Tabitha. We talk about Lazarus a lot, but Tabitha's just as amazing to me. She's dead. She's awaiting burial. And there Peter, just as he had seen Jesus do, told her to wake up and life returned to her body. And she continues to serve the church. Maybe you feel like you let God down, abandoned him, walked away from him. Why would he ever want you back? Maybe you feel like your past disqualifies you from serving God in your future. Maybe you've always just felt like an outsider, like someone who didn't belong or fit in. Maybe you feel like your life is over. How could it go on from here? The church was founded on second chances. And today, 
could be yours. If you're in here and you've not entered into a relationship with Jesus, God has removed every barrier that stands between you and him. He now stands at the door and knocks, waiting for you to invite him to enter. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, all you have to do is accept his invitation to follow him and you can be used as mightily by him as any one of these in this book of Acts. If that's you today and you're ready to make that decision and enter into relationship with Jesus and become a part of his church, all it begins with is a conversation, a prayer. It goes like this, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're ready to make that decision, pray with me. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for every mistake, for trying to do it on my own. Forgive me for the barriers I put into place. I believe in you. I believe that you removed the barriers between us through Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross. I believe that you now offer me life through his resurrection. All that I am from this day on, I am yours. I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.